this is a work in progress. So feel free at the end, if you have questions or comments, suggestions, any ideas, you hate it, you think this is crazy, let me know. Um, the title, um, I jazzed it up for the, for the society in the, in the booklet, but uh, the title that I had been using as a working title, Regulating the Variety of Healers in Eastern Montana, the Establishment of, the board of, Med of a Board of Medical Examiners. Um, kind of sounds boring. I mean, who cares about regulation of uh, medical examiner, you know, establishment of a medical examiner's board? The reason that it might not sound like a very exciting or perhaps important topic is because we're kind of spoiled this 20th, 21st century by our situation with physicians. We trust, I think I can speak for everybody, we pretty much trust our doctors. At least we trust that they've been screened and are duly licensed. So we don't really think much about the, how our physicians get their credentials, whether they have credentials, if they're uh, appropriately credentialed. So it's something that we just don't think that much about. But if you go back in time, in history, Montana and other states, all the other states, um, there's an interesting history there. So just to say a little bit about the present, um, who regulates uh, the various health practitioners in Montana today? So there are two agencies, the Montana Board of Medical Examiners, which is the group that I'm going to talk about. And then there's the National Board of Medical Examiners, which um, medical students fear because they take uh, step one, step two, and step three exams all the way through their medical careers. They're a national board, and most states accept uh, passage of the national board as uh, exams as part of their credentialing. What this means is that just because you graduate from medical school does not mean that you, that is enough proof that you are competent to practice medicine. You must also pass a state exam uh, and or a national exam. So you could say that the weight of the state and national governments stand pretty solidly behind our medical practitioners. Okay, so let's go back to the uh, early times. How and when did the Montana BME, I'm going to use that abbreviation, Board of Medical Examiners. Um, so how did the Montana BME come about? So I'll stick this map up of Montana territory uh, just to kind of introduce and remind you all uh, to the beginnings of Montana. The great rush of people coming to the state starting in the 1860s to Bannock and Alder Gulch and then some towns and cities were founded, Butte, Missoula, Great Falls, Helena. So mining and then cattle and sheep ranching and farming, timber, brought lots of folks to Montana. All of these folks got sick. Most of them got sick. Or they had other kinds of health problems, accidents. Lots of people who came to Montana who said they were healers 
may not have been healers. So you have sick people, the opportunity to take care of sick people was too much for some who turned out to be frauds. Uh, it was too much for them to resist to, to come. So some of the folks who came were trained, some of the folks who came were quacks, and some thought that they knew how to heal, but had no idea about how the human body works. So how was a layperson to know whom to trust with his or her body? Should there be regulation of medical practitioners? That was a question. Or should lay people be free to choose whom they want without the government interfering? This is, we're talking late 19th century now. If there's regulation, is it just a way to protect physicians' bottom line and reduce competition? rather than to protect the public from unscrupulous and ignorant so-called healers. Until 1889, Montana, Montana Territory had few rules regulating the practice of medicine and little enforcement of those few rules that did exist. Pretty much anyone could say he or she was a healer and charge money to take care of patients. This was a problem. Actually, the problem was not just a problem here in Montana. It was a national problem. And Montana was right in the middle of it in time-wise. It's a complicated story um, rooted in the history of American medicine that started before the Civil War. So I'm briefly going to uh, look at the national picture first and then we'll come back to Montana. I'm trying to set some context for this story uh, of the Montana Board of Medical Examiners. So in the early 19th century uh, in the US, there were so-called regular doctors who were trained by either apprenticeship, which varied greatly in quality depending upon who your teacher was, uh, and I suppose the quality of the student as well, uh, or you could be trained at a medical school. There were a growing number of medical schools um, as the 19th, early 19th century progressed and then into the mid and later 19th century. But we're talking about the pre-Civil War period here. Those medical schools were also unregulated. They set their own standards for education and for graduation from medical school. These medical school and apprentice trained physicians soon established medical societies. And uh, these were local, and some of them were statewide, and in some states they were both local and uh, statewide medical societies. Um, in cooperation with state or local governments, these uh, medical society members would examine prospective practitioners' qualifications and could issue licenses. So to become a regularly trained physician, traditional physician, um, you could follow one of those two routes, medical school graduation or medical society licensure. By the early, uh, by the 1820s, most states had some sort of licensure regulations. But not all lay people liked the idea that there were 
medical licensure, that there was such a thing as medical licensure. Medical school and apprentice trained physicians, the regular docs, often used harsh and unreliable remedies. These were loosely based on the remnants of the old Greek humoral system, blood, black bile, yellow bile, and phlegm, and the balance of those humors. The idea was to get bad humors out of the body. I'm oversimplifying here, but just for the idea that you want to get bad humors out of the body through bloodletting, blistering, laxatives, very strong ones, diuretics, make people sweat, di diaphoretics, called heroic medicine, probably because patients were heroes to withstand the treatments that regular docs provided. So there was opposition to this harsh approach to healing coming from uh, several groups of people in the US. And these folks who didn't like the regular docs came to be known as irregular healers. For our purposes in terms of licensure, the first and most important of these groups were the followers of this man, Samuel Thompson, lived from the 1760s to the 1840s. The Thompsonians, as they were known, were botanic healers. They believed that you should use uh, vegetable, um, herbal type remedies, even though some of those were quite harsh as well, um, rather than the heavy metal mercury type compounds that the regular docs he uh, often used. I'm not going to go into the details of the movement. It's an uh, interesting, uh, sometimes humorous story. Um, but most important to know is that this was a, a group of people who were believed in self-healing, that you didn't need physicians to uh, take care of yourself, that you could, armed with the new guide to health there, the book, um, a box with the remedies that were written up in the new guide to health and the help of your friends and neighbors at your local friendly botanic society, you could uh, practice medicine on, your, uh, on yourself. Every man his own physician was their slogan. This became a very powerful movement and had lots of followers. Enough political power that most state legislatures abolished medical licensure by the 1830s so that truly every man could be his own physician. Every modern day politically correct terms, every person could be his or her own physician. So throughout the middle decades of the 19th century, there were no medical licensing laws in the United States. Anyone could practice. There were other groups besides the Thompsonians, and I'll just run through them quickly, who also uh, opposed the regular docs, who were part of the so-called irregulars. Um, the most famous that you all would know about are the homeopaths, followers of Samuel Hahnemann. The first homeopath came to the US in the 1820s, mid-1820s. The homeopathic view was that um, you used weak concentrations of simple medicines, only instead of putting several different kinds of uh, materials into a medicine, just use one and make it weak. And the weaker it was, according to Samuel Hahnemann, the more powerful, the more potent it was. So this appealed to those who believed in the, the doc, regular docs were doing much too harsh 
treatments. They also, the homeopaths, founded medical schools, so the, they were in direct competition in some ways with regular docs. Um, a third rival of the regular docs were the hydropaths, who believed in getting water inside the body, pure water, good for you, in the body and outside the body. And you see on the slide there several depictions of different ways of getting water outside the body all over, your, all over yourself. This was both a self-healing movement and a physician-based movement. So there were some medical schools um, as well. And the fourth rival to the regular docs were the, whoops, that didn't work. There we go. The irregular, um, were the eclectics. Um, and these were folks who took the, what they thought of as the best of the other groups, the other systems, and uh, used those treatments to take care of, of sick people. To combat the irregulars and to improve the state of medical education in the US, regular docs got together and slowly uh, developed a uh, strong organization. It started off quite weak. The American Medical Association, the AMA, of course still with us today, founded in 1847. Over the course of the 19th century, it, though it tried very hard, failed to become a very uh, powerful organization and had little impact on the uh, changes in the training of physicians or even getting rid of irregular docs. So with that background, let's go back to Montana Territory and this influx of people and healers in the 1860s and 70s. We know why settlers came. They came to mine gold, silver, copper, to supply the mining camps, to farm, to raise cattle and sheep, in general to better their lives. Why did healers come? Why might a physician or somebody who called him or herself a physician come? So some were lured here by gold fever. Um, they came to, to get rich and some of them um, practice medicine on the side. It wasn't the main reason they were here, but when people found out that they were a physician, they would turn to them. And so um, some came for this reason. Some came because there was too much competition in the, the states, back in the United States, from so many people claiming to be healers because of the non-regulation of medical schools and the lack of medical licensure. So folks came uh, to avoid competition. New physicians, newly minted physicians might come, physicians of all stripes, backgrounds, the types that I've mentioned to you, regular and irregular. It's a good place to gain experience and to make a living. No regulation out here either. And of course, frauds, quacks, poorly trained physicians, uh, people who call themselves physicians, physicians who came to make money off of the unsuspecting sick and desperate. They knew that there was little enforcement of what few rules there were. So let's talk about this last group, the frauds, because those are the ones that eventually pushed the establishment of the BME. Even in the earliest newspapers in Montana, and this one is uh, 1869, the example I have here, um, there were ads in those newspapers for quack remedies like this one, and to 
be honest, I can't see it very well from here. Uh, so I'll give you a second to take a read it. And there were ads by doctors, people who claimed to be doctors, saying we could cure most ailments. Um, and there were warnings in the newspapers um, about quacks, watch out for quacks. Um, and actually, in uh, 1864, in the Montana Post, there was even a call uh, by the editor to uh, drive, establish legislation to drive out these quacks. But despite all this bad publicity, fraudulent healers thrived in Montana territory. Well, who cares? Why should trained physicians, trained docs, care who came to Montana territory um, just because they're not credentialed? What's the difference? So the altruistic reason would be to protect the public, to protect their health from these uh, frauds. The more self-serving reason, as I mentioned before, and the one that uh, they sometimes got accused of, was economic self-interest. Let's suppress the competition. And there may have been some of both. I mean, for sure, they were there to protect the public. That's why they cared. And maybe there was a little bit of self-promotion, uh, uh, I'm sorry, economic self-interest in this. But for the primary reason was to protect the public. Many, if not most people, it appears, favored reigning in the open quackery and false healers who were present around the territory. But even after that 1864 call for the legislature, past legislation, it took until 1876, so that's 12 years after that first call, for the territorial legislature to pass any kind of rules um, about the practice of medicine. As you see, it was called an act to protect the citizens of the territory of Montana from empiricism. You could read quacks, frauds, and elevate the standing of the medical profession. The new law stated what qualifications one needed, and I'm not going to go into that I'll, when we get to the, the actual law and the Later, I'll give you more details. Um, but it did state who, what qualifications one needed to practice. The problem was that the law provided some penalties uh, for noncompliance, usually financial penalties, but there was no means for enforcement. There was no registration, no licensure, no record keeping of, uh, so, so that you could tell who was practicing and that they had passed these qualifications or satisfied these qualifications. So with a law like that, not surprisingly, quackery and squabbling between physicians continued. In late 1878, so a couple of years after that weak law that I just mentioned, uh, in late 1878, a group of seven regular physicians uh, from around the territory advertised a meeting to be held in January of 1879, so a few months later they were calling for this meeting, um, to form a Territorial Medical Association. You see I have the MMA uh, logo up there, as you 
can guess that became the M MMA, the Montana Medical Association. That meeting occurred uh, in January of 1879 over a period of three days, and the group established the Medical Association of Montana with a constitution and bylaws and officers. Unfortunately, despite this auspicious start, the, this medical society, the MMA, was not very effective over the next decade in Montana. So healers of all stripes thrived. Um, and I'll pick on Butte uh, and read some quotes. Uh, the newspapers there were especially angry at quack doctors, and so there are some uh, good quotes in there and stories. So Butte was coming into its own in the 1880s, or early 1880s, uh, as a large industrial city with people of many ethnicities, and of course then lots of folks getting sick and accidents, um, given the mining that was happening there. So over the decade of the late 1870s and into the 1880s, local newspapers there called attention to the problem of quackery. The Butte Miner, in September 1879, observed Butte is literally blessed with ju uh, just now with specimens of the genus quack. And uh, in February of 81, the practice of medicine appears to be open to anyone who chooses to engage in it. Average citizens are at the mercy of every charlatan who has just sense enough to arrange a few letters of the alphabet at the tail end of his name and plant his shingle in a prominent place on the sidewalk. The newspaper called for the legislature to regulate medical practice in the territory. And in uh, 1885, when the same newspaper went on a campaign against quacks for the whole year, and uh, at one point determined that of 28 physicians practicing in Butte, not more than one half have been graduated from regular and recognized medical colleges. So let's pause briefly here for, and go back to the big picture for a minute. Over the course of the 19th century, medicine started becoming more scientific. Introduction of the microscope and perfect perfection of the microscope. The microscope was found, was recognized, discovered uh, a couple of centuries earlier, but um, was perfected so that it could be used better in the uh, mid and later 19th century. Uh, Pasteur and Koch posited their germ theory, and that was getting accepted. Uh, pathology, physiology, chemistry of the body, biochemistry, Lister and his antiseptic approach to uh, uh, getting rid of germs uh, led to safe surgery. Anesthesia had been introduced with the uh, discovery of ether as, a, uh, as an anesthetic. So science was beginning to be introduced into medicine. And nationally, as science was integrated into medicine, it also was integrated into medical education. And states began trusting regular physicians, regularly trained docs, um, and began to pass licensing laws again. So remember, there were no licensing laws in this middle part of the 19th century. In 
May of 85, the Helena Weekly Herald carried a story regarding licensure that described the uh, AMA's annual meeting in 1885 in New Orleans. The AMA, trying to get tough and uh, become a, a powerful organization, passed a resolution to push medical societies in every state to promote the establishment of a state board of medical examiners. Every state should have one, they said. So the MMA heard that and acted and tried, um, and this is the part that I'm weakest in because I have not been able to find a whole lot of the politics involved here. In 1887, it tried and was not successful in getting the legislature to do anything about establishing a BME, a Board of Medical Examiners. But in 1889, at the next biennial legislature, it was able to get this passed. And a law was passed uh, February 28th, or went into effect February 28th, 1889, that was uh, an important and um, useful law for regulating medical practice. It had teeth. Its provisions, there was a seven-member board of medical examiners appointed by the governor. Physicians currently practiced in Montana had 60 days to produce their diploma from an acceptable medical school, and there was a list that was a national list of acceptable medical schools that the MMA, MMA followed. If you didn't have a diploma, then, uh, but had practiced at least 10 years in Montana, you could pass an exam and then be, be a practitioner. All new practitioners in the state had to show their diploma and take an exam. And also, the BME could uh, revoke or deny medical certificates for unprofessional, dishonorable, or immoral conduct, or from anyone who was determined to advertise in a way so as to deceive the public, this fraud idea. All applicants for licensure uh, to practice, uh, all their names were entered in this ledger book, and I'll just say that I'm compiling the first thousand of these from 1890 to 1910 of this list to try to get establish a database of physicians who were licensed in those uh, 20 years. Uh, as my wife can attest, it takes a long time to go through this and find the information I'm looking for. So that should be the end of my story, right? Montana, soon to become the uh, Montana Territory, soon to become state of Montana, 1889, could now kick out quacks and allow only competent doctors to practice on the people of the state. But that isn't the way it happened. Why? And I'll make this brief. I'm almost out of time here, but I just want to point out that just because you have a law doesn't mean it, it works. So the details. For example, what schools are acceptable? The list that I mentioned to you, this national list, um, was one that most uh, boards accepted, but there were folks who graduated, that is, uh, graduates of those schools, who, of other schools, who said, hey, what's wrong with my school? Why isn't my school on, the, on this list? And contested what schools were acceptable and which one, ones weren't. So that was one of the problems. Another one, I've been in practice in Montana for 15 years. I'm, I'm sorry, I've, I was in practice in Iowa for 15 years. 
It's insulting to make me take a test now that I've moved to Montana. I can practice medicine. How dare you? And they went to the courts over this. The Board of Medical Examiners exam asked too many academic type questions and not enough practical practice questions. They're just a bunch of uh, people who work from theory and not aren't really good at practice. Uh, so why should I have to pass that kind of an exam? Or, oops, oh, okay. Why can't, uh, I've been caring for people in my Montana town quite well for some time now, and the townspeople there love me, and you're saying I'm unqualified just because I failed an exam? And why can't I advertise that I can cure many diseases? Is that unprofessional or misleading just because I say that? There were traditional Chinese healers who disputed this. They're saying that they don't use, do regular medicine. Why should they be subject to the BME rules? There were Christian scientists. Christian science was becoming very uh, popular. Uh, where am I? There we go. Um, I'm a Christian scientist. I'm a faith healer. I don't administer medicine, so why am I considered a medical practitioner? Or I practiced osteopathy, which was a new discovery in the 1890s, which was a manipulation of the spine and uh, was not, uh, did not use drugs. Why do I fall into the purview of the Board of Medical Examiners? So some of these, these were some of the challenges that the medical practice uh, to the Medical Practice Act over the decade of the 1890s and on into the first decade of the 20th century. The BME was praised by some, maligned by others during this time period. They were taken to court numerous times by angry, practi angry practitioners who had been either rightly because the BME messed up because the, uh, maybe they had graded wrongly or mistakenly desired, denied a certificate uh, from people to practice. The law was refined a little bit in the uh, 1890s, tightened up a bit. The state Supreme Court had to rule on some cases. In 1901, the osteopaths won the right to establish their own examining board. And we still have the records of those. In 1901 to 1903, the AMA reorganized and scientific medicine uh, was uh, kind of accepted by eclectics and homeopaths, and they were integrated uh, into the uh, AMA. So those folks, eclectics and homeopaths, became part of the Board of Medical Examiners exams. Chinese healers and faith healers, did, those cases were taken on a case-by-case -case basis and were not a big problem, as it turned out. Quackery diminished, it continued a bit, but diminished over the first couple of decades of the 20th century. The AMA started a crusade nationally. Most other states in the U.S. were also dealing with this problem. Okay, so this is it. The rise of scientific medicine, huge changes in medical education, and the existence of an ever-strengthening board of medical examiners Help bring Montana's very messy medical practice situation under control by the early 20th century. So is medical practice regulation important? For sure, it is.